Want to learn how to leverage your marketing to get clients on repeat? Charge a fee that leaves you with money in your pocket even after you've finished paying your bills? And finally, stop working with the clients that you've long outgrown? Liberated Business is a transformational program that combines group and one-on-one work so you get the best results possible. This differs from every other program out there because it helps you make money while supporting your joy and liberation throughout your entrepreneurial journey. Liberated Business starts this June and runs through November, and enrollment is open now. Visit thebadtherapist.coach liberatedbusiness to get all of the details and sign up. DM me on Instagram at thebadtherapist with any questions or to learn more. I cannot wait to get started with you. Don't get stuck when you disagree with the test. This is going to happen. There will be questions that even after you understand the rationale, you hear the explanation, you are just simply going to disagree. You're going to have a different opinion clinically. It's not going to make sense to you. I think it's important to remember that this test isn't on the cutting edge of what's happening in therapy or what's happening culturally, and it's written in a way that assumes that the test taker is uh, a cis, straight, white man with little cultural knowledge outside of his own. And this is really helpful to know because if you don't hold that identity, the further you are away from that identity, the weirder some of these questions are going to seem to you. Hey there, and welcome to The Bad Therapist Show, the podcast for current and aspiring private practice therapists who want to earn more money, work less, and have a way bigger impact. I'm your host, Felicia, The Bad Therapist, former goody-goody therapist turned six-figure private practice owner and therapist business coach. I'm here to help you learn everything you need to know about private practice and expanding beyond the one-to-one model so you can earn more money and increase your impact as a therapist without burning out or hustling. Using my proven liberated business method, therapists at all stages of business have been able to grow their income while becoming even better therapists. And I'm on a mission to help you do the same. It's time for you to get your time back and enjoy being a therapist again. You ready? Let's get started. Hello, and welcome to The Bad Therapist Show. I'm your host, Felicia, The Bad Therapist. Today, I'll be sharing the strategy I use to pass my clinical exam on the very first try. You'll learn seven tips to study better and bring up those scores on your mock exams. I'll also share my clinical exam countdown method so you know exactly what to do in the two weeks leading up to and on the day of your exam. You can use these same study tips for all clinical exams, including your law and ethics exam. I'm so excited to share this with you. Let's get into it. So my study tip number one is don't bother studying for your exam until you have your test date set. This is a mistake that I made. I thought I was going to submit my hours and immediately start studying for the exam. And then once I got my hours approved, I would set that test date and I would be ready to take it so fast. But the reality was that just wasn't enough motivation for me. Without that test date in place, I just kept on delaying studying and it just ended up not working. So if you're a person who can be motivated through that, by all means, you can start studying earlier. But I really found that having a test date in place helped me so much to be able to actually commit to the process of studying. 
Tip number two is pick one study guide and follow it. I used the Therapist Development Center test prep, and I really, really liked it. I studied for about three months before I took my licensing exam, and I highly suggest that you don't try to get a bunch of different test prep materials. Any quality test prep uh, material is going to cover all of the bases it should be covering, and you really don't have much to gain by getting an additional one. And the risk you run by getting an additional one is you're overwhelming yourself and you're doing you're not doing either test prep effectively or fully. You're kind of splitting your time going back and forth between these two different test prep guides and it's ultimately not going to be helpful for you. So if you tend to be a little anxious around taking exams and you're thinking, "Well, I'll just get 3 exam preps and then I'll study them all and then I'll definitely know everything." This is a recipe for disaster and overwhelming yourself, so do yourself a favor and don't do that. Instead, follow their instructions. If they're advising that you study at a certain cadence or you spend a certain number of hours on certain bits of material, do that. Focus on that one strategy. Any reputable study guide will tell you exactly what you need to do. Each guide is meant to be efficient and include what you need to pass, no more and no less. So stick with their plan. They're the experts here. You can always do some research by talking with your friends or seeing what these different study guides include. If you have a certain way of learning that you know works better for you, then you can always look for study guides that include more of that thing. But either way, pick one and stick with it. Tip number three is get a study buddy. Partner with a friend and go over practice questions together. Keep each other honest on your studying. Stay in touch. This can be an intense process. When you're studying for your your exam, you're probably already working. You might be working in an agency setting. You might be working in more of a private practice setting. You There's a very good chance that you're not making a lot of money. You might be working extra jobs. So doing this studying on top of what you're already doing can be quite intense. So it's really helpful to have someone who is also going through the process with you. Someone you can commiserate with, someone you can be encouraged by and encourage, and also someone you can learn with. Now, I just finished saying that you should really only work with one test prep guide, but when it comes to studying with a friend, if you each have different test guides and those each have different sample questions, a really great way to spend your time together is to sit down and look at those sample questions together, go through them, look at all the answers, and see what you come up with together. Talk through how you're thinking about the question and see which answer you arrive at. After you've done that, look at the answer that the test guide has given you. And talk about that. Did you get it right? Great. Did you get it wrong? Okay, why did you get it wrong? What was going on there? And even though these test prep guides are meant to mirror the actual exam, so if the two of you are taking the same exam, the test prep questions should be pretty similar, there are some differences. And so having two different sets of test questions can actually be really helpful. But I would only advise doing this if you are actually working with a friend and you're going to be doing this together, I actually wouldn't go through the trouble of buying another test prep guide simply to get a different set of test prep questions. I would only do this if you're going to be studying with a buddy. And I did this with a dear friend of mine, a neighbor, someone I went to grad school with, someone who actually became a coaching client of mine in the future. And we had a great time studying together. I know from being me for all these years that I learned really well by teaching and talking things out. So even though I wasn't teaching my friend, just the process of kind of 
doing this critical thinking together, breaking down these questions and talking it through was so helpful. If they had a different opinion than me, I would have to sort of explain my rationale and that helped me understand the material better. That helped me really know how I knew things rather than just looking at a piece of paper or studying by myself. Yeah, I was learning and that was really helpful. That was an important part of the process, but actually being able to talk it out made the material land in an even deeper way. Depending on the test prep guide that you choose, you may have the opportunity to write the company if you disagree with the answer that they gave to a question or you don't really understand their rationale. I can't remember off the top of my head if it was the therapist development center or the test prep guide that my friend was using, but I know that there were instances where we actually disagreed strongly or like I said, just didn't understand and we would write the test prep. Uh, company and ask for more information. And sometimes even after getting that information, we would still disagree with them. So that brings me to my next tip, which is don't get stuck when you disagree with the test. This is going to happen. There will be questions that even after you understand the rationale, you hear the explanation, you are just simply going to disagree. You're going to have a different opinion clinically. It's not going to make sense to you. I think it's important to remember that this test isn't on the cutting edge of what's happening in therapy or what's happening culturally, and it's written in a way that assumes that the test taker is uh, a cis, straight, white man with little cultural knowledge outside of his own. And this is really helpful to know because if you don't hold that identity, the further you are away from that identity, the weirder some of these questions are going to seem to you. And if you know that's what's going on, it's going to be a little bit easier to know how to take the test. The fact that the test is even written this way, I think, is an argument for why we need uh, diversity of practitioners in the field. The fact that this is the standard is evidence that this is a problem. And I'm happy to see that more and more people are getting into the field of therapy. More and more people are being represented as therapists, more queer therapists, more BIPOC therapists. And I think that's just going to be happening more and more. Over time, this test should change uh, if the test makers are doing their job, and hopefully we'll see some of that in the future. But for now, it's important to know that there will be moments where you're not agreeing with the test when you simply would not do what the test makers are expecting you to choose as the right answer, and that's actually okay. Now, choosing a different right answer than what the test makers want you to choose isn't always based on identity. It could be based on your clinical perspective, your own exposure to different things clinically. And that's just always going to be the case. There are going to be some things that you just disagree about. We're getting to tip number five. And this one is probably going to seem really, really obvious, but I'm telling you, it is going to be the key to getting a lot of the answers right on the test. Pay really close attention to the questions and the answers. Again, duh, seems really obvious, but the questions are formatted as short paragraphs. There can be a lot of information in those questions, and there can be some information that can even lead you astray. It's not necessarily that the test makers are trying to trick you. It's just that they're including a bunch of information, and not all of it is actually pertinent to the question that's being asked. For instance, if a question is spending a lot of time describing a case, but ultimately it's asking you to choose a clinically appropriate intervention for early stage therapy, 
You should be on the lookout for something like rapport building or history taking or asking more about the client's goals, not providing interpretations about the client's relationship with their parent. You should be looking for the answer that actually is answering the question, even if there's information about the client's relationship with the parent in the prompt, in the question itself, that would not necessarily be an appropriate early stage intervention. So you can see how you might latch on to information in the question that isn't actually relevant to what is being asked. So be on the lookout for that. If you pay really close attention to the structure of the question and the answers and Take the time to identify exactly what bits of information the question is asking you to supply. Then you can usually weed out at least two of the wrong answers in those four multiple choice options. And don't be surprised if this is actually enough to find the correct answer. This will sometimes happen and don't waste your time looking for more information. If the answer is right there in front of you and you figured it out, Uh, simply by paying close attention to what the question is asking for and finding the one answer that even gives information like that, then that's it. You've got to move on. Don't get bogged down. Tip number six, eat the same snack when studying, taking practice exams, and during your break the day of the actual exam. So TDC, that's a therapist development center, recommends eating the same snack every single time you study. The clinical exam is very long. It's four hours long and you will burn a lot of calories taking it. I distinctly remember uh, in the recordings for the study guide, uh, the person was saying, "You you burn more calories taking the exam than somebody running a marathon. Now, I don't actually know if that's true or been studied, but it takes a lot out of you. So you're going to need to put fuel into your body. And the thing about eating the same snack is we really want to remove as much variability and surprise from your test-taking environment. I'll get into this topic a bit more in episode 17 coming up in a couple weeks, but for now I just want you to focus on the idea of keeping as many things the same as possible. And this isn't about Uh, creating luck. Although if you believe in that, go for it. If you have rituals you want to do, go for it. This is about creating consistency and reducing the amount of decisions you have to make or things you have to figure out. When you go in to take your exam the day that you take it, that is really the only thing we want your brain to be occupied with. We don't want it to be figuring out what you need to eat or what you need to wear. So find something cozy that you think you'd like to take the exam in and start wearing that even while you're studying. Choose a snack that will give you sustained energy over time. Don't pick something that's going to give you a big burst of energy and then have you crashing later. And even before you start studying, pick a snack that you plan to eat before you take your test on exam day. My final study tip, tip number seven, is as much as possible, recreate the test-taking situation when you're studying, especially when you're doing mock exams. So when you go to take the test, it's going to be in a very controlled environment. It's going to be quiet, you won't be able to have your phone with you, and you'll have a limited number of breaks. You'll be sitting, doing one task for an extended period of time. So as much as possible, recreate that testing environment. Sit in the same place every single time you are studying or taking a mock exam. Remove as many distractions as possible. Put your phone in the other room and do whatever you can do to really get in the headspace of that exam. 
if it turns out that that creates anxiety for you, that that actually feels really hard to focus, then that's actually good information for you to be getting at this stage in the game rather than the day you take the test, walking into the testing center, sitting down for several hours at a time and finding that you can't handle that. If that's going to be really hard for you, we actually want to find that information out as soon as possible because that's when you can do something about it. That's when you can go get support and get help for test prep anxiety. That's when you could look into getting accommodations if that's something that you need in order to take the test. So as much as it may feel hard and scary and anxiety provoking to do that, it's actually a good thing for you to find out all of these things now. Now, this may not feel that way for you at all. You may remove all these distractions and you could feel great. Awesome. That means you're already getting acclimated to this way of working and being and studying, and it's going to feel that much easier for you on the day of the exam to be in that mode. So now we're going to switch gears into what you should be doing in the two weeks leading up to taking your exam. So the two weeks before your exam, you're going to be getting really, really close to your test date. And I have a few things that you should be doing two weeks ahead, one week ahead, and then on the actual day of the exam. So two weeks ahead, review what you can and cannot take with you to the test center. You should have this information available to you at the time that you schedule your test or right after you schedule your test. There will be some things you can take with you other things you are not even allowed to take into the test center, let alone into the actual testing room. You will have a locker outside in the entryway of the test taking center for you to keep some things with you, like a snack. Once again, you're going to want to bring that snack that you've been used to eating during the times when you've been studying or taking your practice exams. So make sure to bring that with you. You'll also probably be able to keep your wallet Uh, and perhaps your phone, but you're definitely not going to be able to take your wallet or your phone into the test-taking environment with you. So those will all stay out in your locker, but always review that whatever test center you're going to be at, review their specific restrictions and requirements because you don't want to show up with anything on you that you thought you were going to be able to bring in with you, and then as it turns out, you can't, and then maybe you're stressing about having left that item in the car. So just make sure you're not bringing anything with you that is either that is not allowed in the test center with you or anything that you want to feel comfortable leaving in your car while you're taking the test. Whether you're driving yourself to the test center, someone's giving you a ride, you're using public transportation, whatever, two weeks ahead of your exam date, you're going to want to actually go to the test center itself. If you're driving yourself, it's going to be so nice on the day of the test to already be familiar with that route, to already be familiar with the parking lot, getting the lay of the land. I would even suggest going into the building itself and finding the test center. So I did this ahead of my exam. I rode to the exam center on my scooter, and one option was go- for going there was taking the freeway. Uh, another option was taking, uh, non-freeway roads and on a scooter, I decided that this is what I wanted to do. And the route there was a little bit complicated. I had to take a road I really had never been on before. So I was really grateful that ahead of my test taking, I knew the exact route I was going to take. It wasn't going to be a surprise for me. I knew exactly how long it was going to take me and I already had it mapped out. That meant on the day of the test, I wouldn't be getting exposed to something new for the first time or trying to figure out where to go, potentially getting lost and then feeling stressed out about that. My whole goal with entering my test date was to remove as many unknowns as possible. There were already going to be a lot of unknowns. I was going to be taking a very long test 
with a bunch of questions that I had never seen before. So if I could remove any of the other unknowns, I really wanted to be able to do that. So like I said, find the test center. It may be in a set of office suites where you're going to have to find where exactly this test center is. I remember that it was actually a little bit hard for me to find the test center. So I was really grateful that I wasn't seeing it for the first time during the test date. And in fact, I walked into the lobby of the test center so that I would be familiar with that layout. I also found the bathroom in that test center because I knew that I was going to need to take a bathroom break over the course of four hours and I wanted to know where it was. So I walked into the bathroom and even familiarized myself with it. Again, this may seem a little extreme, but I can't tell you how much this did for my level of stress and anxiety. It just brought it way down. I knew where everything was before my test date. And I think I may have even driven to that test center a couple of times just because I wanted to get that drive down and have it really, really clear for myself. I wanted to know exactly how long it was going to take me, feel very familiar with the route. That way, when it was time for me to go there on the day of the exam, that part of my day was going to feel really, really smooth. It's generally recommended that the week before your final exam, your actual clinical exam, that you take your final mock exam, and then after that, you relax, you don't study. I mean, I think some test prep uh, companies are going to advise maybe having two weeks between. I think some are going to recommend having one. But either way, you're going to want to take your final mock exam and review the questions that you got wrong a week to two weeks ahead of time, and then you're going to want to give your brain a break. You don't want to be studying right up until you take that test because that's just going to be way too stressful. We really want you to be relaxing the days ahead of this exam. So make sure that you're taking your exam with enough time ahead of your final exam so that you can have that space to relax and unwind. When it comes to taking your final mock exam, take it at the same day of the week and the same time of day that your actual exam will be on. And before you take your mock exam, this is what I did, I timed out exactly when I would need to leave my house in order to get to the uh, testing center on my actual exam date. And I had already reviewed what I could and couldn't take with me into the exam itself. I knew what clothes I was going to be wearing. I chose something comfortable. I chose a sweatshirt I wear all the time that I've had for years because I know that was going to keep me warm, uncomfortable. I wasn't going to be putting on any new special outfit that might actually turn out to be uncomfortable. I was wearing something that was familiar to me that I know would keep me warm if I was cold, that was easy to remove if I needed to remove it. So I was wearing exactly what I would be wearing the next week. I had gathered exactly what I was going to be taking with me. And I had decided to take my mock exam in a room of my house where I could close the door. And I had already set up my test-taking environment in there ahead of time so that I would go in and I would open my computer and I would access the mock exam and there I wouldn't be dealing with anything else. It was going to be as much like the test center as possible. So that morning of my final mock exam, I woke up at the time I would knew I knew I would need to wake up the following week for my actual exam. I ate the breakfast I was planning to eat on the day of my actual exam. I left my house at the time that I planned to leave my house on the days of the exam. And I actually walked around my neighborhood for exactly the amount of time that it was going to take me to drive to the exam center. I timed this out to a T. And then when I would be arriving at the 
actual test center, like the time that it would take me to get there, that's when I arrived back at my house to take the mock exam. I walked to the room that I had prepared to be my mock test center. I set the items outside of the room that I would be needing to leave in my locker. And I walked into the test center, (laughs) i.e. this little room in my house. So the timing was the same. What I was wearing was the same. All the items I was bringing with me. Uh, In fact, the night before I did my final mock exam, I even gathered together uh, the items I was going to bring with me the next day because that is exactly what I planned to do for my actual exam. So I mirrored as many things as I could mirror. And then uh, when I went in to take my mock exam, I also took breaks, just like I would have to take breaks in the actual exam. So all of these things were the same. I kept them as similar as possible. After taking my mock exam and the week leading up to taking the actual exam, I relaxed. I didn't study. I followed the advice of the Therapist Development Center to leave that aside. I trusted that I had really learned all that I was going to learn and spending another week cramming probably wouldn't be helpful. It would only stress me out more. So I just left that alone and I did my best to relax during that week. This is a great time to get a massage, to go to a spa, to see a fun movie. This is a time to really be kind and generous with yourself because you're about to embark on a pretty, uh, big journey. You're going to be taking on a pretty big task and we really want you to be as well slept and well nourished as possible going into that. So take that time to relax yourself. Now on the day of the exam, like I said, I had already timed out and kind of, uh, rehearsed what that day was going to be like. And so I already had my things packed and set aside the night before. I had the clothes I wanted to wear washed and on my dresser. And I left at the time I had decided to leave at, arrived on time to the test center, got checked in, got comfortable, put my things in my locker, and I was ready to go for the test totally on time. When I walked in the, into the test center and I was given my scratch piece of paper, there was really only one thing I wrote down on it. I didn't write down a bunch of notes about clinical theories. I didn't write down a list of interventions. The one thing that I wrote down was which question I should be at at each time marker. Because one of the things that kept on happening for me in my practice exams is that I was running out of time and I wasn't answering all the questions. I was taking too long at the beginning of the test. And that meant by the time I was getting near the end of the test, I had way more questions than I should have. So something I had started doing in the mock exams is I had started using a piece of scratch paper and I would write down which question I should be at at each hour. So for instance, in California for the MFT exam, There are 170 questions, which means I needed to be answering between 42 and 43 questions per hour. So at one hour, I knew I needed to be at question 43. At hour two, I needed to be at question 86. At hour three, 129. And I needed to complete the rest of the questions by hour four. This ensured that at any moment I could just look at that piece of paper, look at the clock and know, am I on schedule? Am I behind schedule? Do I need to speed it up? If I was stressed, I would have had to try to do math in that moment. And I knew that was not a kind thing to ask my brain to do. So I did the math ahead of time. 
I knew which question I should be at at which hour. And I knew that if I needed to check that, I wouldn't have to stop in the middle of trying to answer these clinical questions and do some math equation. I just already had that down there. That reduced my stress so much. And it allowed me to always know if I was on track. And in fact, I had time left. So that was incredibly helpful. Something else I want to say about these questions is that not all of these questions are being scored. In fact, on the California MFT clinical exam, there are 20 questions that are experimental. So if you encounter a question that just seems really bizarre to you, really off, there's actually a chance that that's a question that's not even being scored. It's really important when taking this test to keep on moving. And remember earlier in this episode when I was talking about my study tips, A lot of these questions you can figure out simply by looking at what exactly is this question asking and which answers are actually providing the information that is being looked for. You can usually eliminate two answers from every question. You can usually rule out two wrong answers from every question just by doing that before you're even getting into things like theory. Another thing to do while you're taking your test is take those breaks. Take your allotted breaks. You're going to need them. Your brain is working so hard. So take your bathroom breaks, drink water, eat your snack, get some time to just walk away from the test, clear your head and come back. You will test so much better when you actually do this. And no matter what, Make sure to celebrate after your test, whether you pass or fail. Sometimes you're going to know immediately afterwards. Sometimes you won't find out for a little while. But regardless of what the outcome of the test is, celebrate. This is huge. And if you're feeling at all stressed about taking the test, whether you're studying or it's just around the and you're starting to wonder whether or not this means something about your ability to be a therapist, I just want to invite you to think about the last time you were with a client and you felt so good about the work you were doing. I want you to remember why you got into this for the first place, why you love this, and don't let this test stop you. If you're feeling discouraged or anxious, go out there and get some help. Try approaching studying with these new tips and see what that does, but do not let this test stop you from reaching your goals. Remember that this test isn't really a test of your worth, or even effectiveness as a therapist. This test in large part is a test on how to take tests, and that has nothing to do with whether or not you're a good therapist. So keep on at it. You can do this. I believe in you. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I know these tips will help you study more effectively, bring up those test scores, and feel more confident and calm heading into your test date. This is exactly what I did to pass my MFT licensing exam on the very first try, and I know it's going to help you too. Make sure to share this episode with a friend you know who's preparing for the exam right now. Maybe you could be study buddies. Make sure to tune in next week when Scott Balderson, the director of Center for Mindful Psychotherapy, will be my guest. You've been hearing a lot about CMP from me and some of my recent guests, and if you're an early-stage therapist wanting to work in private practice or you're an aspiring group practice owner, you'll want to give this one a listen. Come say hi to me on Instagram and let me know what you thought of this episode. I'll see you next week. That's all today for The Bad Therapist Show. Thanks so much for hanging with me. I hope you got some gems that you can start using right away in your own business so that you can break out of good therapist conditioning and build the business that you want. 
If you've gotten something out of this episode, don't keep it to yourself. Share it with one of your good therapist friends who really needs to hear it. And while you're at it, please consider leaving a rating and or review so that we can change not just our individual businesses, but transform the mental health system that got us here in the first place. Thank you so much. I'll see you next week for more private practice and coaching tips. Remember, bad therapists make the best therapists.